are listening to the Batflip Podcast, a baseball podcast from Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Damian and Matt. Welcome back, everyone, to the Batflip Podcast. My name is Damian. Here is my co-host, Matt. Uh, we're coming to you on February 2nd of 2021. It's what a week that this has been in the baseball world. Um, we've had a major trade happen. We've had some you know, higher-profile free agent sign we've had you know a dispute between the owners the league the players um, that we'll get into but before we jump into all that let's let's bring my co-host Mitt in and uh how you doing Matt I'm doing pretty good um it sounds like you had a little Bob Nightingale slip up right there but... yeah I did <laughs> a Bobby Nightingale. Um, we've, seen, we've seen plenty of those this week but uh but yeah I'm doing great um just hanging out and uh I went out of town this weekend went um doing a little bit of redneck stuff went hunting and uh, that was fun, and uh, just uh, hanging out with buddies and drinking a couple cold ones, and it was a good weekend. But um, but yeah, I mean, uh, catching up on the baseball stuff was a little difficult. So much happened, and uh, you know, we're only you know a few weeks from spring training. So I mean, right now at least we are. So unless it unless they change it, which is possible, I guess still. But uh, I'm excited. I'm 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 looking forward to it. I think this is going to be a fun season. Uh, hopefully by the end of the season we have a normal-ish feel to it maybe a normal postseason with fans and uh you know late season even in the you know the pennant races you know maybe we have a lot of fans in the, in the seats and everything so um i'm a i'm i think it's gonna be fun and i'm you know i'm doing well so how, how about yourself we're doing all right over here you know just just trying to get through all this stuff but like you said very much excited that baseball is coming back pretty pretty soon you know as we sit today you know we're two two weeks and one day away from the first team reporting for spring training. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we found out news that this weekend that the you know league is already trying to push that back a little bit. You know, they sent a proposal to the players' association saying that delaying the month for a season and that we would uh you know you'd get 154 games this year, uh, and they would do the expanded playoffs, but only up to I think it was. 14 teams or was yeah, it Yeah, it wasn't the same as last year, but yeah, last I mean, year was 16 and I don't yeah. know if there it was either 12 or 14. Yeah. Um, you know, and then the implementation of the universal DH and the players union, they, you know, disagreed and and they declined the offer as as was expected because then that just opens up a whole wormhole for CBA talks that we're going to get into this next off season. So, you know, as it's looking right now, we're not going to have the DH in the National League this year. Um, we're going to play a full 162 games and it looks like spring training is going to start in about two weeks. Yeah. Um, I think this is good news. I know a lot of people want the universal DH. Um, you know, I've think there's good arguments either way. I, for a long time, was opposed to it after seeing it in practice this year. I'm not as opposed to it as I was. I think, it, you know, either way is fine by me. Uh, but, um, you know, the league, the front office, the, you know, the owners and Manfred are using that as a bargaining chip to try to get their expanded playoffs, which I just don't like at all. I don't understand it. Um, I, I think if I think it's crazy uh, to, to that a team could win 105 games and then get a, have a scrub team that's lost 85 games get into the playoffs because there's so many teams in the playoffs and a three game series decides who wins that. Um, I think that's pretty pretty bad. You know, you could maybe talk me into a, a 12 team uh, playoff instead of a 10, and have like the top two teams get 
buys in the playoffs or some kind of restructure maybe I could be talked into but that uh that expanded playoffs like we had last year it was fun for last year because there weren't really enough games to determine who was actually you know the best teams um but you know for a full season I, I don't like it at all um and I don't understand why they want to why the league wants to push it back I mean I every other major sports league is playing right now the NBA is playing uh the NFL is playing they've played all year without without a game getting canceled uh they've had some postponements but they haven't had a cancellation the NBA's had some postponements but uh, at this point they haven't had a cancellation of games um I don't understand you know how they think that pushing the season back a month is going to make it any better plus the fact that they're talking about pushing spring training back more than they're pushing back the regular season, which would be mean a shorter spring training with the same length of season or, or just an eight game shorter regular season. But that was that eight game shorter would be condensed into a smaller time window. So I think the players really didn't like the risk of injury being increased by the short spring training plus the more condensed schedule that they would have had. So I think honestly you play over the, you start it, when you normally would have started it at the very beginning of April and you play it as you would have normally played it. And if in that way, if teams have issues with COVID early in the season or something, you still get a, a, a free pass on it because you, you know, the, you have a lot more f- flexibility to reschedule games. So uh, I'm glad that that deal didn't happen. And um, I think the owners are kind of crazy for suggesting that. And I think the players are, you know, doing a good job. I, I think um, they, they did a good job of, of you know, not accepting that, I, I, you know, I think the players probably could have countered with something that, you know, not countering at all was a little bit out there, but um, I think they want the season just to proceed as normal, honestly. So, well, it, it, this, when this was all started this last year, um, I forgot who it was, put out a fantastic, um, you know, article and, and, you know, um, thread of tweets about why the players don't re, you know, they don't, counter that argument but they decline it and then they send their own offer it's it's to do with the way the cba it would it would void parts of the cba and everything and just pretty much it would give the owners more power if the players you know tried to counter actually it would give rob manfred he would be able to say well look we tried to do this you guys countered well we don't like this so now i can just implement it whereas in now the players are just like they can say well look just we continue on as it is and then we'll hash this out next off season when we have to go through a whole new collective bargaining agreement um so you know like you said that the way that the owners wanted to push it back you know they were trying to tell the players well look we can give you the universal dh when i you know all the players want that the fans want it mostly you know like you said i was very opposed to it uh, but before seeing it and now that you see it i can understand both sides of the argument you know and i wouldn't hate if it's in the game but you know, the owners think that the Universal DH is such a big bargaining chip when it's really not. Like, you're only really benefiting 15 teams. You know, 15 new teams get the, that one position. But it, those, you know, trading that for expanded playoffs just brings so much more money into the, the owners' pockets. So, like you said, it's a very good deal that, that the players didn't didn't take that. And, and, you know, it just sounds like we're heading down a rocky road for next offseason's, you know, collective bargaining. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, next off season is going to be rough, and I'm hoping that, you know, this season might be a more complete season than next year is kind of what I'm afraid of because of, you know, there's a history in Major League Baseball of, you know, the players going on strike when, when the 
collect the collective bargaining agreements have expired. So let's hope that next year is uh, everything is uh, you know put in put in place pretty well. Um, yeah, we're we're gonna be putting our trust in Rob Manfred and Tony. Yeah, area. Yeah, Rob Manfred's not the best, but you never know. We'll see what happens. Um, you know, I think I think something. I think it will eventually get done next year. Uh, but um, you know, we'll see. So, um, starting off uh, a lot of moves this week again. Uh, we've got. Um, I believe we're going to talk about nine uh, free agent signings. Uh, you know in depth and then we had three or four more that happened that you know just because of the sheer number of them we're not gonna be able to get to too many of them um but um the first one that we're gonna talk about is um a probably the most accomplished player on the list um, or at least the most accomplished pitcher um it's gonna be adam wainwright who um signed a uh one year eight million deal eight million dollar deal with the uh st louis cardinals he had contemplated retirement um, he actually, I kind of wanted him to retire because he was really, really good in the TV booth in the postseason. I don't know if you saw any of the games he was in, but he was really good at that. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah but he uh, he's 39 years old. Um, you know, he probably wants to give it one more go round with uh, St. Louis. Um, his career numbers are really good: a 3.38 ERA, 3.41 uh, FIP, and a 41.3 wins above replacement number is uh, very solid for a pitcher. Um, I don't think that's quite hall of fame worthy numbers, but he's, he's really solid. Uh, in 2016 to 2019, uh, which is after an Achilles injury that sidelined him when he was really at his best. Um, so the last, you know, four or five years, he has had a four plus ERA every season, except for the 2020 uh, shortened season, which was a 315 ERA, but his, uh, his peripherals have stayed pretty even um, his lowest uh, out of his, you know, fielding independent pitching number 393 and his highest of 436. So he is at this point in his career for the last four or five years has been a, you know, probably a number four level pitcher who has pitched just fine. It's worthy of being in a major league rotation, which is not, it's just something you can't say about too many 39 year olds. Um, and he's a, uh, you know, he's very accomplished three time all-star uh, wins leader a couple times. Um, he's actually a, a couple of times a gold glover and a silver slugger. And we might get to see that one more time this year with the silver slugger if the pitchers hit like we're talking about. So interesting. Yeah. You know, like you said, he's one of the most accomplished pitchers in the game. He's been around since 2005. Um, you know, it's hard not to like Adam Wainwright, especially like you said, when he did such a great job in the booth, but as a player, you know, it just, you just always know him for that curveball that he has. And, and, you know, uncle Charlie is what they, what they call him. It's just, you know, like you said, one more go around with the team. I'm, I'm guessing, you know, maybe wants to hit age 40 pitching or something, but I mean, not much else to say. You pretty much covered Adam Wainwright, you know, to the T. Um, so we'll just jump over to our next yeah, signing one, we had. One little, okay. one little fun fact about Adam Wainwright. He was actually traded before he, – he spent his entire season, career with the Cardinals, but he was drafted by the Atlanta Braves. It was traded for J.D. Drew. That's how long ago this was. J.D. Drew played in Atlanta in 2004. That's how long he's been in the big leagues. Yeah. So just interesting. So the, the uh, next signing that we had was, you know, he, he's – He's a major league catcher now, I would say. At one point, he was one of the best catchers in the game. But Wilson Ramos uh, signed with the Detroit Tigers on a one-year, $2 million deal. 
Um, he's been in the majors for 10 seasons. Uh, I believe it was 2016 was probably his best year. He hit 307, 354, had a 123 WRC+. Um, you know, I think it was that year where he tore his ACL, if I don't believe. It was right before the playoffs happened. And he hasn't really bounced back to the same player he was at that point. You know, 2018, when he split time between the Rays and the Mets, was a really good um, uh, year for him. But, you know, Wilson Ramos is a solid catcher, especially for the Tigers, who don't really have, you know, I think they've been playing Grayson Griner at catcher. So, nice rebuilding team, get a nice young, solid, or not young, nice solid catcher, you know, that they could probably flip at the deadline. Yeah, I really like this move for Detroit. Um They've got a lot of young pitchers. We talk about uh, Tariq Skubal coming up. We talk about Casey Mize coming up. A couple of the guys who are already up there. Uh, and this gives them, instead of, you know, having a, you talk about Grayson Griner or somebody like that being their catcher, they got a very experienced veteran presence there. Uh, I mean, his bat's pretty good. He's, he's been above average for, for his career this past season and the shortened season with the Mets. I mean, it was just okay, an 89 WRC+. plus. He's a pretty good defender. He's not an elite defensive catcher, but he's he's been solid for his whole career. Um, and he's, like I say, 10-year veteran, very important for a young, uh, an up-and-coming young pitching staff like the Pir- I mean, like the uh, Tigers have. Um, I like this move a lot. And like you say, of course, if you know, if he has a big year and he's sitting there in July and he's hitting, you know, got a 300 average, 350 on base, 450 slugging or something, you know, having a, a you know, bounce back, then you can flip him and, you know, probably pick up a lot up for him because he's a catcher and catchers are in demand. So um, I think this is a good signing for Detroit. Uh, our next guy, um, another guy I think is a very good signing. Um, and this one uh, made by a team that, you know, we've been berating a little bit for their offseason moves, um, but that would be the Cleveland Indians as they signed uh, Cesar Hernandez, who they've has been there a while. Um, they re-signed him to play shortstop, and he signed a one-year $5 million deal uh, that does have a club option attached to it. And uh, he is uh, he's 30 years old. He's got a 277 career average, the 358 on-base percentage, 383 slugging, which is exactly 100 WRC plus for his career, which is an exactly league average hitter. Pretty good defensive player. Uh, he's put up 14 wins above replacement in his career. Um, over over or above average hitter based on that metric for the four of the last five seasons. Um, and he's also been above uh, 1.8 wins above replacement for the last for the last five seasons. So um, I really like this move for Cleveland. Um, I think this is a great um, – I mean, I think he's a very solid regular as a player, good second baseman. He makes a lot of contact. He's going to keep your lineup intact. He's going to, you know, push it to the next guy. Pretty good leadoff hitter, too. A 358 on base percentage um, for a guy without a ton of power. Uh, so, you know, that's pretty solid. So he's got a good eye at the plate. I like I like Cesar Hernandez. Yeah, I like Cesar Hernandez, too. And like you said, this is very, a very good deal for the Indians, especially after trading, you know, Lindor. And now there's rumors that they might trade Jose Ramirez and, you know, he's a guy who can, like you said, set the table for a lineup. He gets on base at a decent point, plays decent defense. He, and he's going to be somebody who just keeps his head down and, and, you know, shows up every day and does his does his job. He he doesn't really cause any waves. He's not going to make you any big splashes on the field, really. He's just going to be a nice, solid major league player that just does his stuff day in and day out. You don't have to worry about him. You know, you're going to get solid, basic 
you know what his line's going to be most likely. He's going to have right around a 35 to 36% on base. He's going to hit you right around 270, 280 every year. He's going to play you solid defense. You know, he's he's going to be a major league average player pretty much. And for, you know, a $5 million deal this year with an, a club option for next year when you're, you know, starting off your rebuilding phase, it's not bad for a 30-year-old player. Yeah, another guy who might be traded at the deadline if if Cleveland is out of it this year. So, Absolutely. Um, well, our next signing is one that it it didn't catch me off guard for what he signed for. It caught me off guard to where he signed for. Um, and that's Andrelton Simmons, uh, shortstop. You know, he's been with the Angels for the past, I believe it's five years. I uh, was with the Braves before that. Probably the best defensive player that we've seen. I mean, he's got to be right up there with Nolan Arenado um, for, you know, defensive prowess in the game right now. But it was really odd to see him go to the Minnesota Twins. Um, it, you know, one-year $10.5 million deal, but they already had Jorge Polanco set it short. Yeah, uh, very interesting uh, to see this. I, I think Polanco, they're moving to play second base maybe? Yeah, or, yeah I think um, they said they're going to move him to second, and then Arias is going to be a utility guy. Utility, yeah, and, and Arias' profile would fit a, util, a super utility type player. But um, Simmons, um, you mentioned his defense, and you know his bat in his career, it's been okay. He's had a couple seasons where it was better than average, but most of the time it's been a little below average. Career 269 hitter, which is not bad, but... Uh, only a 317 on base, 379 slugging. He's a guy who puts the ball in play a lot. He, he hits for a lot of contact, but he doesn't have a great approach at the plate, doesn't walk very much, limited power. Um, I think his career high in home runs for a season was like 17 maybe. Um, so uh, that, that part of it is not good. But when you look at a guy who's been a below average hitter and you look at his uh, wins above replacement total of 25.2, you know there's something special there. And uh, special he is at shortstop. He – it, a couple stats that I found on, on Angelton Simmons. So the since uh, since the defensive advanced metrics became a thing, um, you know, which uh, you know around the turn of the century, around 2000 or so, um, he has been the best shortstop um, by uzr per 150 which is ultimate zone rating and by defensive run saved he's put up 191 defensive runs saved in his career um and he has been the second best defensive player by both metrics i believe andrew jones was number one in uzr per 150 and adrian beltray maybe was number one in defensive runs saved in his career um I don't remember for sure who that one was. I looked it up earlier, but uh, I thought that was very interesting. I mean, he is a generational defensive player, and, you know, he's a guy who, in his era, is by far the best shortstop in the game, probably the best defensive player in the game, you know, while he's been in, while he's been in baseball. And, uh, you know, for he's around the likes of, you know, an Ozzie Smith or uh, somebody like that in his career ranks as a, as a shortstop defensively, that is. And, uh, you know, I think the twins just added a fantastic defensive player and, you know, it's easy to remember how they lost a couple of those uh, wild card games this year. Uh, some uh, defensive mistakes. And I think they shored that up pretty well with Angelton Simmons. Yeah, and, and, you know, maybe Arias plays a little bit more of the outfield now that they especially let go of Eddie Rosario, you know, and, and we don't know what they're going to do with Nelson Cruz yet, but 
like you said, Simmons being able to to lock down that shortstop, you know, that that's a huge, huge advantage for them, especially if Donaldson's at third, you know, with, with how his injuries have, you know, started him hampering. I can't speak today for some reason, but uh, has started hampering, you know, his mobility probably at third base, his range. So, you know, locking down Simmons, at least for this year, we'll see he enters that free agent market next year at that crowded, um, you know, shortstop market. So maybe he this works into a two-year deal or, or something. So we'll see. Um, but our next guy we had signed is uh, Jerickson Profar. He ended up signing a, a three-year, $21 million deal to go back to the Padres. Um, he's a, a utility guy, plays all over the field. I think this year alone he's played games at left field, second base, right field, first base, center field, and he played a game at DH. Um, you know, he's he, he was a lot better this year than he has been in his career. He's a, you know, this year ran a 343 on base and a 278 uh, batting average, and his career lines a 238 batting average with a 318 on base. He plays solid defense, but not great defense everywhere. But he's a prototypical utility guy, you know, like we were just talking about with Arias. He's a guy who he doesn't walk much, he doesn't strike out all that often. But he's a guy who will put the ball in play, and he can play all over the place for you and play solid defense everywhere. Yeah, this is a interesting, a interesting player. Jerks Profar at one time back, you know, he's been in the big leagues for, for more than six years now, and at one time he was a, uh, you know, the number one prospect in baseball by a lot of the services. Um, and he, you know, he's only 27 years old. Uh, all these free agents you talk about, we, t- we talk about. Uh, you know, Wilson Ramos is 33. Uh, Cesar Hernandez, who this is his first time in free agency, is 30. Kike Hernandez, first time in free agency, 29. Andrelton Simmons, first time in free agency, is 31. Or maybe maybe this is his second year. But this guy, Jerks Profar, is 27. He came up real early. Um, and, and his approach is good at the plate. You know, he doesn't strike out a lot. Um, he, he walks more than a lot of guys with his profile. Um, you know, 8, 9, 10% maybe even. Um, and he plays, like you say, he plays above average defense. You know, the, the thing that really has hurt Jerks and Profar in his career has been injuries early on. And I think some of those injuries have kind of zapped his power. He, he, he never developed the, the type of power that a lot of folks expected him to as a prospect. But, you know, if he can put up his 2020 numbers again for San Diego, um, I think they would be very pleased with that because they were pretty good. And, and Jerks and Profar at this point in his career seems to be a, turning into a solid regular. Maybe not what he was hoped that he could once be, but, you know, solid regular uh, for a guy who's had as many injury problems as he's had is, uh, you know, pretty good pretty good deal there. So um, three years, $21 million, um, $7 million a year is pretty – much the going rate for a really good regular or a, or a you know a, a borderline regular so um you know they and they have him locked up for a few years so that's that's a nice nice contract for him yeah and and you know that that kind of like leads right into our next uh, guy like you were talking about that seven million dollars a year range and that's kike hernandez you know we mentioned him a little bit last episode but he he officially had signed today um got introduced he signed a two-year 14 million dollar deal with the boston red sox um, you know, he really fits kind of along that profile um, mold of player of what they are right now, at least. You know, he's not a great on-base guy. He, he, he's decent at the plate, you know, below average. But where he really shines is that he is, you know, a, an above-average fielder. He he's, can probably win a gold glove if he plays second base every single day. Um, he won the utility 
they had the new award this year for like the most fantastic fielder. He won that as a utility player this year. Um, you know, he played games at second base, right field, left field, center field, first, short. I mean, he's played everywhere pretty much except catcher. He's literally played every position except catching in his career. Um, you know, he, he's a guy who he'll strike out more than Profar will. He walks you know, right around the same, right around 9%. But what Kike Hernandez brings is more of the, the energy and the persona of what he is. Um, you know, as a Dodger fan, I've been able to watch him for the past six years, and he's he's probably the most fun player that I've been able to watch. He, he just never has a bad day and just always, always is the life of the party, no matter what. So... You know, there's a lot more that, that he brings to the plate rather than just, you know, the on-field numbers, at least. Yeah, and uh, along those lines, um, you know, it's good for a rebuilding, or, or not really a rebuilding, but kind of a retooling Red Sox team that, you know, still got a, some really good pieces there. But, um, but you know, they they're definitely have some young pieces that are coming up that are going to need to kind of figure it out a little bit. Um, you know, his career numbers at the plate, not great, not bad, uh, 240, 313. 425 um he's put up 8.3 wins above replacement and that is in a part-time role he, he hasn't ever been a full full-time player uh the closest thing to that was 2018 he played 145 games he actually put up a um, 118 wrc plus that year with a 256 average 336 on base and 470 slugging and that put up over three wins above replacement which is a really good number um i think that's the i think he's put up three wins above replacement twice in his career um, so this is a guy who, it, it, and like you said, his defense is is very good at, and playing, being able to play all over the place. It's a very valuable player. I don't think he's a, you know, a long term solution as an everyday player. But you know, he can have another 2018 like season, have a really good year, play you know a a, a solid you know you know maybe you slot him in as a Red Sox at second base. You know, losing Dustin Pedroia, and you know, obviously you can play him anywhere, but um, you know, you play him a, a full full season, and maybe he puts up something similar to his 2018 number. And you know, if not, you've got yourself a clubhouse leader and a uh, pretty solid, uh, you know, defensive player that can play everywhere um, for you know not uh, too hefty of a price. So good good deal, good for Kike Hernandez, good for the Red Sox. Um, he's only 29 years old too. He's he's on the, so he's on the right side of 30. Um, he's a guy who maybe you know with a full time role could be a little bit of a late bloomer and put up a couple of really good seasons for them. So interesting signing for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so our next signing we had was a guy who he didn't pitch at all this year. Um, and we've actually talked about him um, as far as you know, being part of one of the bigger trades that we've had happen, and that is uh, Chris Archer. He signed a one-year, $6.5 million deal to return to the Tampa Bay Rays. He missed uh, this year with thoracic outlet uh, surgery. Um, that that's starting to become a new alternative for a Tommy John instead. So we're not quite sure what he's going to be, but um, you know, to get a six point five million dollar deal like, coming off of that surgery and missing this season, I'd say Chris Archer did pretty well for himself, especially after how he looked, you know, the past couple years before, uh, before this, especially twenty nineteen, where he was just terrible. Yeah, Chris Archer, uh, he, he's been a pretty puzzling player for his career. Um, he had a Two two all star appearances in his first stint with Tampa Bay. Um, you know, in his career, he's got a 3.86 ERA, but a 3.65 FIP. Um, he's put up to over 20 wins above replacement in his career as well, which is pretty solid. 
um, you know, he, he's always been a guy that underperformed his peripherals. And, and usually you see it the other way around. A lot of times you see guys who over a long period of time are able to underperform them, you, you know, with weak contact, good defense behind them. Good, But Chris Archer has been kind of the opposite. He's always seems to give up, you know, maybe he gives up a lot of line drives or something. But, um, you know, he, he's a guy who you're a little worried about his arsenal. Um, you know, he only really throws two pitches, uh, fastball, slider. Um, you know, maybe the Rays could, uh, you know, he's comfortable there. He's played pit, he's played there a lot, pitched there a lot. Uh, maybe the, he can get back to his form by adding a third pitch. And um, But, I mean, when he was in Pittsburgh, it was a disaster. I mean, 2019, you know, his full season there, a 519 ERA, a 502 FIP. Those are by far career worst numbers. Um, you look at, um, you know, after he got traded there in 2018, I don't have the splits on that right in front of me, but it wasn't great. And uh, I mean, you know, you would hope that he would try to get back to um, his, you know, his ways of um, pitching well. And I think Tampa is a good place for him. Lower, a smaller market, back where he's come from before. And, um, you know, uh, uh, I think a pitching staff, you know, strategy, uh, you know, that meshes a lot better with him than Pittsburgh. I think Pittsburgh was didn't suit him very well when it came to his arsenal. I think, you know, Pittsburgh preaches a lot more of, you know, the two seamers and changing speeds inside, outside. I think uh, Chris Archer's more suited for a place that, you know, he can throw his four seamer and his slider up and down in the zone, you know, uh, get swings and misses. I, I think that's a way better scenario for Chris Archer. So I think this is a pretty good signing, uh, both sides. I mean, low risk. It's just a one year. Uh, thoracic outlet syndrome is something that, you know, it's definitely worrisome because you've seen a lot of pitchers have major issues after having that. Uh, the biggest one that comes to mind is Matt Harvey. But, um, I mean, you know, we'll see what happens. It'll be interesting for sure. Absolutely. If, if there's a spot that Chris Archer is going to be able to bounce back, it was going to be uh, Tampa Bay. You know, I, I had when we had doing our free agent predictions uh, between our little group of friends. I had picked either Tampa Bay or or the Dodgers for him just because of the Andrew Friedman connection. Um, so definitely, I mean, Tampa Bay going back there for him, it, it's going to be a great thing for him, especially, you know, and this just further proves the point that Tampa Bay really won the trade. I mean, you get Austin Meadows, Tyler Glass now, <laughs> Shane Baz, and now you just get Chris Archer back anyways. You get everybody. <laughs> um, yeah, you get you get them all back. So, uh, you know, good for Chris Archer. You know, he, he really has been a, a pun for a lot of fans over the last year or two being in Pittsburgh and, and all the antics that go on there with, with stuff. So hopefully he can get back to, to doing really well. Cause he was, he was one of the pitchers I liked watching the most when he was back in uh, Tampa Bay. Yeah. So. Yeah. And you mentioned the, the antics a little bit, just real quick on that. Uh, I think he was frustrated a lot when he was in Pittsburgh. I, I think he, he's always been a guy that was really energetic. And when he was re- doing really well, he was really, he was a fun pitcher to watch. He was really, you know, excitable. Um, you know, I think I think he just got frustrated. I think it was just a bad fit in Pittsburgh. I think it really was. And um, I think with uh, w- with the uh, Tampa Bay Rays being back there, I, I think it, I think he I think that the, the attitude changes a little bit. And I think he he is a lot happier and a lot more comfortable there. But we'll see what happens. Um, our next signing, um, the guy who was coming back to the team that he was with in 2020, um, and that is Didi Gregorius. He uh, re-signed with uh, Philadelphia on a two-year, $28 million deal. Uh, pretty solid contract for him. Uh, good career numbers, uh, 265 average, 315 
on base isn't great, but a 433 slugging as a shortstop, not too bad. Um, he's a, got a 99 WRC plus, so he's you know basically a league average hitter, um, and a you know about 19 wins above replacement on his career, which is pretty solid. Um, 2020 was really good for him. Um, he saw a spike in his uh, on base. Uh, he hit 284 with a 339 on base, 488 slugging. Uh, 117 WRC plus and, and 1.4 wins above replacement in that shortened season. Um, so that's really good. And uh, his best two seasons were in New York, where he was a very big, uh, a very he took a, he took very much advantage of the short porch in right field. I think a lot of people remember him hitting a lot of home runs <laughs> over that short porch in right field when he was with the Yankees. But uh, he hit, um, you know, he had a 4.1 wins above replacement season in 2017 and a 4.7 wins above replacement season in 2018, which was uh pretty elite numbers there. That's, that's, you know, definitely all-star worthy production from him uh, when he was in New York for a couple of years. But uh, I think it's a pretty good signing for the Phillies. Good going rate. They get themselves a short stop, bring him back for a couple of years. Uh, you know, I think it's a perfectly fine deal on both ends there. Yeah, and what this really allows the Phillies to do is this: this is a perfect bridge gap to that Bryson stop that they, uh, you know, they had drafted, who's, who's one of their top prospects at shortstop. Um, you know, he he he's projected to be ready in a year or two, so you know, maybe you still have DD waiting in the wings that gives you a little bit extra time that you can make sure that that stop's ready um, down in the minors. But like you said, DD, he's a he's gonna be a really good fit in that lineup. You know, with the power you have from Harper. And then you have your your righties of Hoskins and Bohm, McCutcheon and Rio Muto, and you know being able and even Segura putting um, Didi. I'm sorry, I'm just based on his name. Putting Didi right in the middle of that lineup. Um, you know he's somebody who'll give you professional at bats as well. Um, you know he's starting to try and walk a little bit more. You know he 2018 he walked 8.4. 2019 he got injured, but he was you know around a five percent at that point. Um, he walked 6.3% this time, this year. Um, very professional hitter. He plays really good defense as well. Um, so, you know, for a team that doesn't play great defense and that needs a, a solid lefty major league bat in there, I mean, this is a perfect signing for the Phillies. You know, you know, 60 games, he had 10 home runs. So there's a shot he might be able to hit, you know, 30 home runs this next year. He, you know, even with the shorter porch still in Philadelphia, but he could still do it. Yeah, he's a pretty solid, pretty solid player. Um, another guy who uh, left-handed bat that can take advantage of some short ports, but he doesn't really need short porches. Um, is uh, jo- yeah, is Jock Peterson, and he signed uh, with the Cubs on a one-year, seven million dollar deal with a uh, 2022 mutual option. Um, I thought this was one of the more strange signings of the offseason. Um, <laughs> I mean. I didn't really understand it too much. I, not that Jock Peterson isn't a really good player because he is, but for the Cubs to sign the guy that's so similar to Kyle Schwarber, I thought was interesting after letting him go and non-tendering him for a contract that would have been pretty much the same as what they got with Jock. Um, I thought that was interesting, but um, Jock Peterson's a good player. His career, 230 average, not great there, but 336 on base is fine. 470 slugging's pretty solid. Um, you know, 13 wins above replacement. And a 118 WRC plus for his career. Um, 2020 was a struggle. He only hit 190. Uh, his other numbers were pretty similar, but the 190 kind of drug them down some. 285 on base, 397 um, slugging. So, you know, some of those uh, streaky strikeout issues with Jock Peterson 
flared up in 2020. 2019, he put up three wins above replacement. 2018, put up 2.7. Has had some good production the last few years up until 2020. Um, but here's where Jock Peterson's a problem. Um, you know, lefties in his career, he's only had 385 plate appearances against lefties, and he has not hit them well at all. 191 batting average, 266 on base, 310 slugging. That is a 59 WRC plus, which is pretty terrible. Versus righties, where he's had over, he's had almost 1,500 more plate appearances against righties. He's hit 238, which is still not great, but he's also put up 349 on base, which is really good, and a 501 slugging, which is very good, and a 128 WRC plus. So he's been a pretty close to elite hitter against righties. And pretty much close to worst hitter in baseball against lefties. So uh, one of the biggest platoon splits guys in the game. Um, so this will be interesting to see how he works out with the Cubs. Because like I say, I just felt like it was weird because they could have brought back the guy who had a lot of chemistry there and, you know, had been there a while and was part of their World Series team. And that was that's a really similar player to Jock Peterson. And instead they went out and got Jock Peterson. So interesting stuff. Yeah, and, and Jock Peterson is... You know, he's one of the most streaky hitters, good or bad. He'll get into a groove where he'll hit you in a week. He'll hit close to 10 home runs, but then he'll get in a groove in a week or not a groove really, but he'll get into a slump during a week and, and strike out almost 15 times. You know, he, he, when he does good, he's really good. When he does bad, he's really bad. There's not really much of an in-between with Jock. Um, the the only really good thing that, that does, even when he's, struggling is that he still takes a lot of pitches and he still tries to walk a lot um so he's a guy who will work at bats work counts it, it's really weird with jock he really actually feels more comfortable in the leadoff spot which you wouldn't think he's more of a prototypical leadoff hitter because he you know he hits for a lot of power i mean in 2019 he hit 36 home runs the year before that 25 home runs you know he's hit over 20 home runs four times in his career um but that's where he feels a little bit more comfortable. You know, he plays solid defense. He's not a great defender at all, but, you know, he's not terrible. I mean, he'll, he'll get by with it. Um, you know, we've, we were talking, we talk about WRC plus, which is hundred being league average. You know, he's done that over five times in his career. This year was a little bit of struggle, like we said, but you know, I, if he would have had the full season, I expect those numbers to, to really have bounced back because he, he was on that cold streak like I was talking about for, for much of the season. But, you know, like you said, it's very similar to Kyle Schwarber, so it was a really head-scratching deal when I saw that Jock Peterson had signed with them. But he's a guy who will, you know, he'll hit those bombs like Schwarber. He'll hit them out of Wrigley Field all over the place. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so, um you know, that's it for the free agents. We're going to go in depth on, but there were some more and, you know, because of time, we're not gonna be able to go through all of them. Um, but, uh, real quick, uh, Freddie Galvis, um, who's been a big league shortstop for a bunch of different teams, Phillies, Padres. Uh, I think he might've been in the, the blue Jays for a year. He, he's been all over. Um, he signed with Baltimore one year, $1.5 million deal. Uh, he'll be replacing, uh, Jose Iglesias, of course, uh, who was there last year. So that, that's a pretty good move for them. Maybe a guy who can increase his value as the season goes on. Carlos Rodon um, re-signed with the Chicago White Sox. Um, guy who's battled some injuries. He's had some times where he's looked like he could be a pretty solid pitcher. Um, lefty um, signed a one-year, three million dollar deal. Uh, you know, so a pretty good move there for the White Sox. Bring him back. See if they can see if he can have that breakout finally. Um, Sean Doolittle, veteran reliever, um, signed uh, for, with the Met, with the Reds. 
on a one-year, $1.5 million deal. He, he's been really rough his last couple of years. He's battled injuries a little bit. Uh, when he got moved to Washington from uh, from Oakland, he started giving up a lot more home runs, and that's been an issue for him there. And, uh, you know, this is kind of a, a bout, maybe a bounce-back candidate. And uh, Aaron Loop, um, from the, uh, who, who was with the Rays this past year, he's pitched in Toronto. Um, he's a villain in Atlanta because he's the guy who broke Freddie Freeman's hand uh, several years ago. Um, he, he signed with the Mets on a one year, $3 million deal. So he's going to get to face Freddie Freeman a lot. Um, and, uh, hopefully, um, hopefully he doesn't break Freddie Freeman's hand again, but, um, you know, solid move. He's a pretty good lefty reliever veteran, um, specialist get, you know, get that lefty out. Um, so, um, those are four more moves that signed major league contracts that we didn't really get a chance to discuss. And the big reason that we didn't get a chance to discuss those is because we have a gigantic trade and a very complicated trade that occurred this week. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I mentioned him a little bit earlier, but that's Nolan Arenado. Um, we had talked about him before, you know, about the Rockies having to really trade him before that this year started because he had an opt out after this season. Um, and we kind of got rumblings that the Cardinals, you know, they had been interested the year before when the talks had happened. And they'd always seemed to be in on big players. You know, they they traded for Paul Goldschmidt. But this deal, you know, it kind of came out of nowhere. It, it was like, oh, hey, the Cardinals are close. And then, boom, it's done. Um, and they really didn't trade much. You know, Arenado got traded for left-hander Austin Gomber, third baseman Mateo Gill, infielder Elijarius Montero, um, right-handers Tony Loesi and Jake Somers. Uh, but the big thing about this deal is that Arenado is going to keep his opt-outs, but they added on an extra year at the end of it for $15 million. So now he's signed through 2027 for $214 million. With the Rockies, they're going to pay about $51 million of that. But the really interesting part is that the Rockies are going to cover his full salary for 2021. So the Colorado Rockies are going to pay Nolan Arenado $35 million to play for the St. Louis Cardinals this year. Yeah, that's uh, that's very interesting. Um, one of the more complicated trades when it came to money that we've seen in a while. And, and really, you know, that's not surprising given the structure of his deal and uh, how much money he's owed. But, um, you know, this Arenado trade was, was interesting. I, uh, you know, he's, he's a good player, um, great player, sometimes elite. Um, he's, um, you know, he's got those opt-outs. His career numbers, 293 average, 349 on base, 541 slugging. Uh, that's a 118 WRC+. Plus. He's been up over 32 wins above replacement in his career. He's an elite defensive player, been a gold glover several times. Um, you know, 2020 struggled a little bit. 253 average, 303 on base, 434 slugging. Some of that due to a shoulder injury. He still put up almost one win above replacement in the shortened season. Um, a lot of that related to how good a defense he was playing. But um, in uh, 2016 through 2019, he put up over five wins above replacement each season. The problem with Nolan Arenado is the home and away splits. This is something that you know gets brought up all the time with players that play in Colorado, but his are pretty dramatic. Um, he at in, at home he's a 322 hitter, 376 on base, 609 slugging. That's a 128 WRC plus, which is that's elite. Away, uh, 263, 322, 471 with a 108 WRC plus, which is still a pretty good player, but 
nowhere near an elite level hitter that we've come to expect from Nolan Arenado. So, um, you know, he's going to play elite defense. That's a given. That doesn't change. But, um, you know, are we going to get a Nolan Arenado that's putting up really good numbers at the plate? Or are we going to get one that's putting up pretty good numbers at the plate? And that's going to be a pretty big deal when it comes to somebody who's owed $214 million through 2027. Because after this year, that's going to, if, if he opts in, you know, that's going to put a big hamper on the Cardinals after the Rockies are done paying that his salary for this season. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, and you know, Arenado was actually introduced to Cardinals today, and he said that his, uh, you know, his off season had still been hampered a little bit by that shoulder injury. So you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how he initially starts off on this year because of of what his training was a little bit limited, but still having to nurse that injury. Um, you know, the added year onto the end of this deal made it really interesting because he kept his opt outs and his no trade clause. So. You know, why would you add on a year and still keep your opt-outs? It, it's just very weird on how that worked, and then the Rockies paying it all. But, you know, Arenado, I mean, I, I think that the splits are are over dramatic because of him playing in Colorado every single day. You know, it, there's an interview with Charlie Blackman, who is one of Arenado's teammates, who says that, you know, when you go from, from at, batting at Coors to batting on the away – it just feels completely different. And by the time that you're really adjusting to, you know, the ball, the way it travels on the road, then you get back into playing at Coors and then it just changes. So you have to change your way your swing is. So he said, that's why, you know, it might be better sometimes for a player to just get away altogether from Coors. And then, you know, he might be able to really take off on the away numbers, you know, away from that, that ballpark. So it'll be interesting to see how Nolan does. You know, I, I still think that, that he's a fantastic player and that he will be just the typical Nolan Arenado that we always see. Yeah. And, and I think either way, he's going to be good, whether he hits at his, you know, career away clip of, you know, 108 WRC plus with his defense, he's still going to be really good. Um, and, you know, it's just going to be a matter of, is he $214 million through 2027? Good. But um, there's reason to believe he could be. There's reason to believe he couldn't be. We've seen guys who have gone away from Coors and done really well, like DJ LeMayhew the last few years. We've seen guys go away from Coors and not do quite as well. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, the, the return for the um, for the Rockies, it's going to be a little bit underwhelming when you trade a player like Nolan Arenado to get this return. But it's a pretty good return you know, when you talk about how much of the contract um, that he, he had and how difficult of a trade that was. Cause it's, it's entirely possible either Arenado is going to be a one-year rental because he has a great year in, in, in uh, St. Louis, or he's going to opt into his contract because he had a rough year in St. Louis, which would then cause him to be owed a ton of money for the rest of his uh, time there. But uh, so the, the return wasn't a really elite return for for a player like Arenado, but it was still you know some some useful players. Um, Austin Gomber, left-handed pitcher, we've seen him in the big leagues a lot. Pretty good ground ball rate, um, three eighty nine career FIP. Uh, you know he's pitched across two seasons. He had some injury issues, I believe, in twenty nineteen. He pitched in the minors some, but um, you know eight strikeouts per nine, four walks per nine. Not great there. His, his ground ball rate's really what's going to help him. Gives him weak contact. Um, he started four games and, uh, and uh, you know, pitched out of the bullpen in 10 games this past year in St. Louis. So he's a guy who could either start or pitch in the pen. Of course, you, you want to get ground ball pitchers up in uh, 
up in Colorado because of obviously, you know, the ball carries and uh, things hap- weird happen when the ball gets hit in the air there. So, um, you know, I think that's a pretty solid pickup for them. Uh, third baseman, um, Montero Elhuris. I'm not exactly sure how to say his first name, but he's, he's a third baseman. He's going to be the number 16 prospect for the Rockies. Um, he's got a, you know, plus raw power, a decent hit tool, good arm. He's working on his D some. He's a little bit of a limited athlete. Um, you know, he probably won't ever be an elite defender, but he could probably become average. And if his hit tool works out, then, you know, he could be a solid player, especially with that plus raw power and course field. Um, Tony Losey is the number 18 prospect there. Um, I really didn't see too, too much about him. Uh, he's got really good strikeout numbers in um, 18 uh, minor league innings, but it's all in the lower minors. Um, then uh, Gill, um, Mateo Gill, high ceiling shortstop prospect. Um, he's got good power and bat speed, um, got strikeout issues, but he's a guy who had played really good D when he was picked up and drafted out of high school, but he's kind of a declining athlete. He's put on a lot of weight, put on strength, not bad weight by any means, but it also limits your mobility just a little bit. So, um, you know, there's talk that he might, he's currently a shortstop, but he might move to third base at some point. And then Summers, I really couldn't find much about him, but um, he's not ranked as a prospect. He, he had pretty good strikeout numbers in, in rookie ball, but I mean, he had like a four something ERA there. So maybe somebody to watch down the road, but um, interesting stuff. I mean, I think this trade, I think it's probably a win for both sides. I mean, I think St. Louis probably got, Arenado on what would be the going rate for him in, in a free agent deal. And uh, I don't think they gained a ton of value. I don't think they lost a ton of value bringing him in. Um, and I think that uh, Colorado got some pieces back that could end up being helpful in the future um, and, and got a big contract off their hands that, you know, maybe they can use to sign some other free agents eventually. And obviously Arenado wasn't very happy there anyways. So uh, that was a big deal to, to, you know, they needed to move on from him anyways because, you know, he's he's a guy who – he said he was going to opt out this year. So, um, one more trade this week, and uh, this one was interesting as well. Yeah, it's, it's on a, the smaller scale, you know, nowhere near the Arenado deal. but uh, Absolutely. But Alex Cobb, um, you know, he was a, a really good pitcher when he first came up with, uh, you know, the Tampa Bay Rays and from 2011 to 2016. 2016 he really struggled, but before that, I mean – you know, he was having 287 ERA, 276 ERA. You know, his FIP was right around the middle threes, um, middle to low threes, I should say. Um, you know, 2016, he really struggled. I think he had Tommy John that year um, at the end of 2016. I believe so. He had some um, kind of injury, I think. Yeah, it was right around there. And he came back in 2017. You know, he pitched decent at 366 ERA with a 416 FIP. Um, and then he ended up signing a four-year, $57 million deal with the Baltimore Orioles, and he's just never been good. You know, he had a 490 ERA, a 1095 last year. He only pitched in 12 innings in 2019. Um, you know, 430 ERA with a 487 fifth this year. That gives him career numbers of 388 to 405. <clears throat> you know, he didn't get traded to, for much, but the Angels did acquire him for their <clears> – <throat> sorry – for the fifth overall prospect, um, Jemai Jones. And I know you have more on Jemai Jones. Yeah, Jemai Jones is a guy who has been rated pretty high. I think he was a top draft pick for them um, several years ago. But he, he's uh, the number 11 prospect for the Orioles now. Um, he's got a 
pretty good power speed combo, uh, decent hit tool potential. Um, he needs work defensively for sure. Um, strikeouts need to be a focus for him, bringing those down some. Um, you know, and he had a um, he finally broke into the big leagues this year. Just played in three games, but had a small cup of coffee debut. So um, he's a guy who's close to ready. I'm assuming that he'll probably play a lot for the Orioles this year uh, in their lineup. They need a uh, they need bodies and they need young bodies that could potentially help them in the future. So I think that's a pretty solid move there um, for them. And, and, you know, I think you hit it pretty well on Alex Cobb. He's a guy who I think he's going to slide into the angels rotation who, which really after looking at it again and kind of thinking about it, it's not that bad. I mean, you've got, if Dylan Bundy can repeat what he did this past year, you've got him, you've got uh, bringing in uh, Jose Quintana, who's a veteran pitcher, you know, definitely better than what they had been throwing out there. Andrew Haney's a solid left-handed pitcher. Um, and then, uh, you know, there's talk that you might get Otani back in the on the mound at some point this year after his uh, surgery last year. So uh, interesting interesting moves, um, you know, at, behind that. You, now you got Alex Cobb, who's a veteran major leaguer, has been, had some good seasons. You know, if he can put up a low fours ERA, um, you're happy with him being in there at some level and a couple of young guys to kind of fight for those last one or two spots in that rotation. But um, I think it's a good move on both sides. And, and the angels are only paying, I think, like you said, like $7 million of, of the contract for Alex Cobb this year. So they're not owing him too much. Uh, and it's a one year deal for him now. So um, before, um, you know, before we, close out the show um i did want to mention a couple of we're getting to that time of year where you have some more notable minor league contracts uh from major league players so a couple of those that you know is probably worth mentioning delano to shields signed with back with the rangers from cleveland um you know speedy outfielder you know maybe he figures something out steven souza jr's had some good years he signed with houston uh he'd been in uh, chicago with the cubs um Avon Nova, who had been in Detroit last year. I didn't even realize that, but, you know, former, you know, pretty good pitcher uh, from the Yankees and Pirates. He's going to Philly uh, on a minor league contract. Um, and I believe there was one more pretty significant one, but I don't remember who it was. So um, either way, um, you know, some interesting. Oh, Wade Davis. Wade Davis got moved. Um, signed back with Kansas city on a minor league deal. So just some interesting deals there that, you know, maybe guys who, um, fairly notable minor league deals, because we're getting to that time of year where you're going to start seeing some guys who had hold, held out for major league contracts, get minor league contracts. So. Absolutely. And another small, 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 small little deal that we, we didn't mention either was, um, Jordan Yamamoto got traded from the Marlins to the Mets. Um, after he was DFA'd for a minor league shortstop. So just another depth piece yeah. who's not very good this year. Yeah, but... he you know, he's a guy who had showed a little bit of potential um a couple of years ago for the for the um Marlins. He was part of the Yelich trade. I think yeah. it was him and Lewis Brinson. So the Marlins have not made out well at all in that trade. Oh, and th- there was one other guy, uh Monte Harrison, who is actually a top one hundred prospect who made his debut this year. So I guess the jury's still out on the trade because Monte Harrison could end up being really, really good, but um, either way, um, you know, losing Yamamoto, I think the best, the most famous thing he did this year was give up the 11 runs in relief in that 27 run game that the Marlins allowed. So um, that was that might, interesting. That, but that might attribute to his 18 ERA. That definitely attributes to his 18 ERA. I mean, yeah. he wasn't great either way, but yeah. Yeah. So, 
but all well, right. I think that will uh, that will pretty much wrap up this episode. Um, you know, as we said, we're closing in on two weeks um, until the first teams start reporting for spring training. So expect episodes to be packed like this every single week. Um, we're going to start, you know, we still are waiting for Trevor Bauer to sign. We're state, still waiting on Justin Turner, Nelson Cruz to sign. Ozuna. Um, Marcelo Zuna to sign. Um, James Got Paxton uh, to sign. You know, one did, thing we did didn't James mention. Pa- I thought James Paxton did sign. I did not see him sign did, anywhere. I thought he signed with the. Um, I thought he signed with the Blue Jays. Uh, I did not see that. I, I knew they were interested, maybe, but I did not. Yeah, see maybe him not. Sign. I, yeah, maybe it was just the interest from the Blue Jays. I, yeah. So. Um, one thing or maybe we, didn't, we both projected him to go there. I I don't know why I blanked on that, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know. One thing we didn't mention, we didn't really go into depth because it wasn't really a move that happened with an MLB team. Um, and it just had me thinking about it when I was looking over our list of players. Uh, but that was Masahiro Tanaka. Uh, he ended up going, uh, re-signing back into, I think it was Japan where he came from before. Uh, anyways, his Major League Baseball career over here at least uh, is now over. He, he has went back to his homeland where he came from before he signed with the Yankees and had a, a fantastic major league season, but he felt it was time to, you know, he wasn't getting as much interest here and he wanted to go back home when he was still, you know, a, a very capable pitcher. So congrats to, 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 to Masahiro Tanaka on his major league career and, and, you know, being able to go back home and, and kind of finish his career where, uh, where he started. Yeah, that's good stuff for him. So, so, well, thank you guys for tuning into this episode. This has been, I think episode 24. Uh, so we, yeah, it's it's Crazy. insane, right? <laughs> it's absolutely insane how how fast it, uh, these twenty four episodes have crept on up on us. But thank you guys for tuning into this episode. We really appreciate it, and we'll see you guys next week. Thank you very much.